Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. standpoint. I'm Kevin Bowen. Back another edition of Kevin's Corner. Taping this on Wednesday afternoon. If you guys missed Monday's uh, podcast, we went over everything Jim Mercer had to say on Sunday in his very unusually timed pre-combine presser. Uh, but this will focus mainly on Chris Ballard, um, Frank Reich, their comments, what I heard from the quarterbacks and wideouts talking earlier in the week and just general combine impressions now that we get through really again kind of the newsiest portion from a Colts standpoint when we come back next week we will recap uh, just my overall combine takeaways involving on-field workouts and things like that as we get back into a one week a podcast routine um but yeah Kevin Bowen here Joey Molinero unfortunately feeling a little bit under the weather uh, the weather is terrible in Indianapolis, so can't wait to hear all the combine people complain about that. But um, yeah, we will get into Twitter questions per usual, and I'll recap Ballard and Reich's thoughts. But but one thing I did want to mention right off the bat, um, you know, you hear so often when people talk about the combine, it goes, okay, medicals is the most important. The now 45 interviews, 45 18-minute interviews instead of the 60 interviews that you had in previous years. Those lasted for 15 minutes. It's a little bit of a different schedule change here in 2020 with now the prime time. But I'm of the thinking that for the Colts, yes, it does follow, I think, the normal NFL thought process of medicals is the most important, then it's interviews, and then it's on field. But I feel like a lot of people, they want to have this huge gap between interviews and on-field workouts. And I think for the Colts, it's a little bit closer than it is for other teams. Obviously, medicals, again, it is the most important factor. You've got guys from, you know, all different types of colleges and conferences. and, And I would say the medical department and the athletic training staff that these guys have had in their collegiate careers that's probably the biggest difference, honestly. Um, so getting everybody into one place, having you know each and every NFL team be able to, you know, kind of get a get a physical on these guys' hands, is absolutely vital in the process. Interviews speak for itself. We know the Colts um, are huge, huge character people, so that means a lot as well. But when you talk about the Colts formulating that sort of package. Uh, for prospects, on-field means a lot. Testing means a lot. We know if you look at the draft profiles of Colts prospects, you know they they talk about it a whole lot of you see guys that rank in the 80, 90 percentile from an athleticism standpoint at their their respective positions. So that's why I, I, I do think it is a huge, huge deal. And again, maybe it means a little bit more. Than uh than other teams, 
I was listening to the quarterbacks this week, and I, I did think it was a fa- I, I think in general it's a fascinating group. Um, probably the most impressed I was with in interviews, some combination of Tua, Jordan Love, and Jake Fromm. Um, you know, that is something to where I think those guys are, um, you know, maybe the best, or I guess just kind of convey the sort of moxie and leadership that I think the Colts would like in a quarterback. Jalen Hurts, a little bit too chill. Jacob Eason, again, kind of too cool for school sort of feel with him. I know there's concerns about, you know, what what happened in Georgia and then what led to Washington as well. Um, I, and I post something on 1075thefan.com that takes a little bit of a deeper d- dive into those kind of five quarterbacks after um, Joe Burrow going number one and, and how the fit could be with uh with the Colts there. So if you haven't already, definitely check that out on 1075thefan.com. Let's first get into the Chris Ballard presser. Uh, you know, this is the first time we've heard him talk in, in a formal setting since the uh, since the end of the season. We won't hear him again in a formal setting until about a week before the draft when he does his annual uh, pre-draft presser. Um, obviously, the biggest news item was Anthony Costanzo coming back, and you know, you guys know my feelings on AC, and, and have known my feelings on him. Um, I think he's one of this team's most critical pieces. You know, I said it this morning when I was filling in on the Fan Morning Show. I call Anthony Costanzo a weapon, and I know people are like, "Oh shit, uh, shut up!" Like offensive linemen aren't weapons. He is a legit weapon for the Colts. Because if he's not your left tackle and you're scrambling to find a guy that's going to go play over there, you don't know who is going to be you know, getting giving help or you're going to have to do that on a snap-in, snap-out basis. How does your weekly game plan change? That All those things contribute to Costanzo being a weapon because Frank Reich said it yesterday. The Colts do not help Costanzo out much at all. So instead of Jack Doyle, oh, he's got to have to stay in and, and, and chip a little bit. Or you got to go seven-man protection on this play. Or Marlon Mack and Naeem Hines can't go out on their route tree because they got to stay in and protect that blind side. The Colts don't feel the need to do that. And that is why Costanzo, for a team that's struggling right now to find consistent skill talent, the fact that you don't have to leave any of those guys in to provide insurance on the left side of your offensive line, that is why he is an absolute weapon. Yes, he's not going to win you any freaking fantasy points on a uh, on a Sunday afternoon, but he is going to help the Colts win a lot of football games. And honestly, I think Costanzo's return, I think it is a one-to-two win difference. I think he means that much. You know, I mean, you're, you're you're talking one little blindside block that you don't pick up, and that can be the difference in a one-possession game in the fourth quarter. So a, a huge, huge factor. Chris Boward said now it's time to work out the contract. And, you know, that's kind of something we hinted at on prior podcasts of like, all right, are we getting to the point now where Costanzo, a month and a half into the offseason, he's told the Colts, hey, come on back. Or I'm 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 coming back, but um, 
you know, wait till the combine where my Asian representation will be there and then figure out what that contract looks like. Because, you know, Ballard said yesterday, probably not a franchise tag necessary, but this is a year-to-year basis. So what does that look like? You know, two-year deal, heavily weighted on the first, maybe a team option on the second, you know, something like that. Um, it's a guy that's going to turn 32, 32 years old in, in August. And I think both parties are pretty honest that they need to treat this as a year-to-year basis. And I still think left tackle is is a definite need. Ballard, I thought, was really candid in talking about that yesterday, how it takes one to two years to develop those guys, feel like you have somebody you can rely on on that left side. And, you know, it's definitely why I was, you know, calling for an earlier left tackle pick last year in the draft. But, you know, this is a huge, huge deal for the Colts. Him coming back. I think when you get into the draft now, I would still look at drafting a tackle in the first three rounds, maybe into the fourth round, but I don't think you want to get past, boy, definitely not past the fourth round before you take a tackle. In my mind, I think it it should take tackle off the board 13 overall, but, you know, 34, 44, 75, I, I think drafting a tackle there, makes a whole, whole lot of sense. It just helps you use your resources in other ways. I mean, now as you sit here right now, you know, let's say you take, let's say you go to free agency and you take care of your defensive line need there. Now all of a sudden you go into the draft and really quarterback and wideout are the two most pressing needs. Sure, left tackle's a need. You could use another defensive lineman. Tight end is definitely on that list. You know, what about corner? But, like, in terms of very pressing, we need this guy to come in and help us out day one. You know, maybe in the Colts' minds, it's not even quarterback. Maybe it's only wideout. But still, I just think it's a great position for this team to be in. Or, or I should say a much better position for this team to be in with uh, Anthony Costanzo coming back. The other thing that really stood out to me, there were, I guess, kind of three or four things that stood out to me about Ballard. Um, easily the biggest item that didn't have the news value of Anthony Costanzo, but still um, could have some huge ramifications as we get closer to free agency. Three weeks from today, folks. Again, we're taping this Wednesday afternoon, March 18th, the first um the first official day of the new league year. Ballard, you know, how the combine works is you usually have about a 15-minute press conference in front of everybody, local, national media, and that's just kind of like, boom, Mike Mayock, okay, you're done. Chris Ballard's up. Boom, Mike McCarthy, you're next. You know, Rick Spielman, you're next. Like, it is a very rapid-fire, you know, churn and burn, 15-minute, 15-minute, 15-minute so you have a lot of national media. They'll just you know stake out in front of a podium, and they can get a lot of stuff done. It's a great one-stop shop. But basically, when you get into that setting, the 15 minutes for Ballard, it's not all about like very Colts-centric topics that you all would would want to hear about. Luckily, the Colts PR does a great job of this. When Ballard and Wright get done, then the local media kind of peels off with them, and they get you know we get about five or ten minutes off of the side. So when Ballard was at the podium, he was asked about spending in free agency and gave that stock answer that we often hear about, built through the draft first and all of that. But then when we got him off to the side, he was asked specifically about 
do you feel like your locker room is ready to handle a bigger name free agent? And, you know, when you say bigger name, don't necessarily think Justin Houston. Think big name that doesn't check every character box. Because that's really what the basis of the question has been in years past. Whenever Ballard has talked about Le'Veon Bell or gotten asked about those guys, he hasn't spoken directly on them, but he's mentioned, I don't feel like, you know, my locker room is ready to handle that type of personality with that type of talent and the contract that that type of player would command and the and the message that would be sent to the locker room. You know, Ballard, you know, three years of this, has been very hesitant to say that his locker room is ready. Well, he, he changed his tune yesterday. He was adamant that his locker room is ready. And there is a willingness now for the Colts to acquire that bigger name again, maybe not that 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 great character characteristic of checking every single box to that high standard that he might have demanded in years past. And you know, this is something that we have certainly stressed in the past few podcasts, really for about the past month, month and a half. I have said, I feel like Chris Ballard will have an openness and a willingness to spend more this offseason. You know, whether it's that friction he wants to cause a little bit more, whether it's the lack of depth that he didn't feel like he gave the coaching staff enough of in 2019, the lack of veteran voices, and just, I I, I think, a, a, a general lack of talent. You don't say those things and have 20 of 22 starters come back and go 7-9 and run it back again. That would be an issue. That would be malpractice. And to hear Ballard confirm that willingness yesterday, um, it's not something that I totally expected him to say. And, you know, I know they were involved last year with Landon Collins, C.J. Mosley, guys like that. Frank Reich mentioned there's been cases in, you know, the past two offseasons that Reich has been with Ballard that they've passed on, you know, some high-priced guys, and it's and it's paid off. Uh, Reich wouldn't get into uh, if there were other situations where the Colts passed on guys and, and it might have uh, uh, it might have backfired against the against the team, but you know, I just feel like this is necessary, and I I don't know if Ballard you know, feels pressure from the outside, feels pressure from Jim Irsay. I, I you know I guess when you have a record that's sub 500 after three years and you know you've only made the playoffs once maybe you feel a little bit of pressure but I really don't think Jim Ursay has applied that much pressure I don't think it's Ursay being like hey you've got to spend I legitimately think Ballard has set up for three years now it's going to take time to get the locker room to where he feels comfortable I know a lot of people laugh at that comment they're like who cares like why is he so stressing this sort of philosophy with his roster building but we can disagree with it or agree with it. He's the guy calling the shots, and now he feels like um, his locker room is there. And, you know, is that a Costanzo, Houston, Hilton veteran core and then a you know Kenny Moore, Darius Leonard, Quentin Nelson younger core on why you feel, you know, more ready for that? Whatever it is, sign me up. Sign me up, and I think fans should be thrilled. Obviously, it's going to take two to tango. 
And this doesn't mean that the Colts are going to have a 2013 or 2015 spending spree. you got to have guys hit the open market. And, you know, we heard from Brett Veach, the um, the Chiefs general manager, yesterday saying, look, if we don't get a, a long-term deal done with Chris Jones, we're going to slap that franchise tag on him. But there are still other names out there that I think inevitably are going to hit the open market. And you just you can't have 46 choir boys or 53 choir boys in that locker room. You know, I know it's Ash Wednesday, but come on now. Can't have a bunch of church boys. Chuck Pagano, a few pews in front of me um, at Mass Downtown earlier today, getting his ashes. So, again, you you, you just, you don't, you know, when Ballard uses the word friction, I, I, th- I think that's an aggressive term just because you don't hear, I think, a lot of people in his position use that term. But he clearly was frustrated by the lack of accountability that his locker room showed last year. So I thought that was um, maybe the biggest kind of eyebrow raiser for me and what Ballard had to say. Uh, He was asked about Jordan Love. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. He was asked about Love and specifically the 17 interceptions Love through last season. Six interceptions as a junior. I think 32 touchdowns. This year he had 20 touchdowns and 17 picks as he was dealing with nine new starters and a new offensive coordinator. Um, Actually, I think a new head coach. So it was interesting. He was asked specifically about the INT number, and he quickly pointed out that Matt Ryan threw 19 picks as a senior at Boston College and you know you got to dive into each interception and look individually at them and things like that so it was unusual you know I feel like if Ballard was trying to throw out a smoke screen or something wouldn't he just say oh yeah we think he's a talented player blah 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 something similar to what Frank Reich said when he was asked about Justin Herbert a little bit later so um you know one thing that stood out from when I talked or, or you know slash listened to Jordan Love's presser he I I asked him specifically what was on your plate pre-snap because when you come from a spread system that's a question and it's a question for Justin Herbert it's a question for Jordan Love and it's not as much of a question for a guy like Jake Fromm and I asked him that more so because it's such an important characteristic and trait for Frank Reich's offense. Now, Frank Reich, whenever he heaps praise on um, the quarterback position and mainly Jacoby Brissett, he talks about how there is a need, and Jacoby gives the Colts this need to make pass protection checks at the line with the help of Ryan Kelly, but it's mainly on the quarterback. And then also, you've got to get this team into right run checks over the course of a game. Certainly, there's going to be plays that a quarterback has to make physically throughout a game, but there's also going to be a handful of plays mentally where the the play is going to be called in from a... um. You know, it's it, it going to be run to the left, and they've overloaded that side. 
can Jacoby Brissett see that, recognize that, and make the run check and get them into a better play? And Reich really loves what Brissett has provided this team in that area. So I asked Love that question of just what was on his plate at Utah State, and he was very honest and said, I really didn't do anything run check-wise, and the pass protection stuff was all in the center. And so that is the sort of dilemma we need to keep in mind when we're assessing and evaluating these quarterbacks. What traits can you teach and develop, and what traits can you not? We had Reich on the Fan Morning Show on Wednesday, and I asked him the specific question of, all right, what would you rather have? Would you rather have the quarterback that can make every throw to every level of the field, and you've seen that on his collegiate film, or would you rather have the quarterback that can get on a whiteboard and do exactly what you want right away and anticipates things and has that cognitive ability that you really, really want? And Reich, you know, didn't <laughs> didn't provide an, an exact answer because obviously they don't want to tip their hand or anything like that, but um, that's what you got to decide with love. Can you develop that aspect of his game? Again, the pre-snap recognition stuff in a pro-style offense is going to take a little bit of time. Do, do you think it's possible to do it at the level that you want? Because you know you don't need to teach those throws. And, you know, maybe it's impossible to teach those throws at the age of 21 or 22 years old. You know, how, how often do you see guys really progress as throwers? Maybe you see them anticipate things a little bit more, and that can look like they are a better thrower of the football. But, um... Again, just some stuff to keep an eye on. 1075thefan.com has a little bit of a deeper story into all of the quarterbacks that I've seen kind of pegged in that 13, a little bit higher, a little bit lower range around the Colts. Uh, Ballard did mention from a draft depth standpoint, he called the receiver group special here in 2020. Uh, Mike Mayock went before him. Mayock thinks that in a, in a typical year, you have about 12 to 14 wideouts that are top three round or go in the first three rounds. He sees about 20 whiteouts that could get top three round grades this year. So again, high quality of that position at the top, diversified skill sets as well at the top, and then some great depth, some tremendous depth in that whiteout group. All right, getting a little bit into Reich, um, I, you know, not a whole lot to take away from his comments. You know, Ballard was more of the meteor one, and in general, I think Ballard is, is just a little bit more candid. You know, Reich did get asked about, again, the quarterback traits that he looks for on tape. I think we mentioned this during the season. Elite accuracy and the cognitive ability are the two most important things for him. Um, and, and then toughness is probably the third thing. And he mentioned those three, toughness, mentally and physical, accelerated vision is kind of his phrase that he uses for the pre-snap cognitive stuff. Uh, accuracy you know, speaks for itself. He also threw in good footwork and intangibles. The intangibles is leadership, making plays in big-time moments. The good footwork is something that I think you know, listen to Justin Herbert earlier this week. He mentioned specifically that, like, that's something that, you know, scouts have questions on. Can he do stuff under center, still have the same rhythm 
as a thrower, three-step, five-step, you know, a little bit slide to your right, play action, boots, you know, like stuff like that. Um, those are all really, really fair questions. I did ask him for his, um, just his thoughts on the Super Bowl and if he felt like there was anything within that game that really, really stood out to him of, you know, this is what it takes to be a championship-level team and obviously he talked about both teams you know being able to run at San Francisco certainly more than that and how you have to win up front but he also mentioned now when the game was on the line in the fourth quarter Reich said that he felt like Patrick Mahomes just willed himself and his team to victory you know Mahomes just was like we're not gonna lose this game as a quarterback I'm gonna lead this team and you saw a guy who was probably the best player in all of football to do whatever it takes to win this game. And that's Patrick Mahomes. And I think that's what I get to of, like, does seeing that firsthand from Reich, does Ursay's involvement into the quarterback decision and, you know, being around such greatness, does that press the Colts at all in saying we have got to find the guy that has the highest ceiling. Does that happen? Yeah, I think right now what we know about the quarterback situation for the Colts is this. They like some quarterbacks in this 2020 class. I, I think Herbert and Love fall into that category. And by no means do they feel like the quarterback position is etched in stone. By no means. I mean, Ursay said it. On, on Sunday. You know, he talked about how it's a four-peg stool and an owner is one peg and a head coach is another and a GM is another. Okay, there's three pegs that he feels like the Colts got. But that fourth peg, that's quarterback. And Ursay said it. We're trying to figure out that quarterback position, that fourth peg. And when you have him involved, does that mean like, okay, you're going to press a little bit more does that mean maybe a short-term fix into a long-term sort of solution because there could be some impatience for Jim Irsay? I know he said no shortcuts, but it's a 60-year-old dude. You know, he doesn't he doesn't used to seeing his team, his franchise, miss the playoffs four out of five years. So, again, all things to factor in um, throughout this process. All right, let's dive into some Twitter questions. Um, again, I, you know, when when Joey's here, usually there's a little bit better flow to this, but um, I will try to um, I will try to hop into these and, and and get them out as best as possible. Let's start with Drew here. Would you use Braden Smith as trade bait? Just feels like we need a right tackle that will be a left tackle someday. That's not Smith, but his trade value would be real high. So, long story short, short would you trade? Braden Smith for Josh Jones. Josh Jones, a tackle out of Houston. Uh, no, I would not, Drew. I think with the Casanzo news, it helps you draft that tackle in the third or fourth round this year, develop what you're going to have to do, and then leave Braden Smith on the right side. I think Braden Smith's a fine right tackle. Is he an all-pro right tackle? Uh, probably not. But in the same age, it's very difficult to find competent tackles. And the Colts have two of them, maybe better than competent. Certainly, Anthony Casanzo is. So, no, I'm not, I'm not trading Braden Smith at all. Gabe says, is there a chance the Colts reach out to Andrew Luck about coaching a young QB like Love? 
have him come in and let Andrew work with him. Like Mathis has worked with the defense. Thanks and love the podcast. Can't see Andrew Luck in a coaching role. Cannot see it. Just, yeah, I can't. I can't. He's too smart to be a coach, right? I think he loves the game of football. I don't, I don't think he, I don't know if he's crazily passionate to the point of like wanting to be a coach. I mean, his dad never. I don't think he ever got into coaching. I think it was just more of a general manager role, and then you know, helping Houston build an RG Stadium and get a Super Bowl, and got into politics and athletic director, and you know now obviously commissioner of the XFL. Craig, wouldn't the Colts be likely to trade Brissett if they get a Rivers or a Brady or anyone but Bridgewater and Fragency and draft a quarterback in round one or two? Um, yeah, that would be my guess. I I think, you know, signing a Rivers, keeping a Brissett and drafting a quarterback in round one or two seems like a ton of um of dra- of resources invested quarterback. Yeah, I, I would probably move on from Brissett at that point. That one guy asks, if you were Ballard, what does Jordan Love or any other possible quarterback draft prospect have to show you this week in order to feel comfortable with the idea of taking him at 13 or even trading up to take him? Great question. Great question. I, I think Love specifically, it's going to come down to that interview. You know, it, and I guess I'm saying if the Colts are interviewing him. And honestly, and Reich mentioned this yesterday. For that quarterback prospect, if you really want that guy, or you want, or you're curious about more, you've got to you've got to go out and visit him, or bring him in for a visit. An 18 minute interview in a chaotic combine session that you know seems just like a assembly line sort of process. That ain't gonna give you enough. You got to do more homework. Um, you know, on the field testing numbers, stuff like that. I'm not sure how much that matters at quarterback compared to other positions. But again, I think the interview aspect, certainly for for Tua, it comes out of the medicals. And the early reports are pretty good on that. So, um, you know, how does that play into things? You know, I, I think for Love, again, it's the X's and O's aspect of it. For a guy like Herbert or Eason, it might be more of kind of the feel you get from a leadership standpoint. Um, you know, Jake Fromm might need to be more of that athlete and make more of the throws on the field for you. And to a, it comes down to the medicals. Country boy Eddie, where does Goodfellas rank in your indie pizza rankings? Ooh, I love me some Goodfellas. That is a giant piece of za. Giant. I like how they. Um, I guess I signed up for something that if you uh, you know if you give them your email or whatever I think you get like five dollars off around your birthday. It's always got nice little birthday surprise to get there. So yeah, Goodfellas ranks high. Top, uh, I probably go top three, top five. Andrew, I literally had a dream slash nightmare last night that the Colts moved up from thirteen to ten to draft a kicker. I think I need a therapist. Andrew, you said it. I was certainly thinking it, man. You need help. You need help. That is a, um, boy, that is the nightmare of all nightmares. I mean, that sounds awful. God, I don't even think there's any any kickers out there that would dream of that. Sporadic Irregularity chimes in. Who is the best, or who is the QB with the best presentation, smarts, confidence at the Combine based on their media interviews? 
Well, I focused on kind of the big six names, although I did slide over to Anthony Gordon a little bit from Washington State, and I did like his kind of personality. I would say Jake Fromm, Tua, and Love for different reasons again. Um, you're asking for the best you know, of all of it, maybe Fromm. But uh, I kind of like Tua. I know people say like he's a bit laid back, but I think he's got an engaging personality. All right, the fake F XFL. Fun hypothetical. What team could you see the Colts trading down within the first round in order to acquire more picks and still be in play for a first round wideout? Whew. Um, again, without Joey, I'm kind of doing the, these on the fly. But, you know, would the Saints move up for a quarterback? Would the Patriots move up for a quarterback? Um, you know, have to look at draft capital of what they would have in, in return, but... I mean, I think the Colts are in a pretty good position to just, you know, that can honestly find that all-pro type player at number 13. All right, Harish asks, are there limitations to Ballard saying this locker room is ready for a big free agent? Yeah, I mean, I again, I, I want to stress this is not going to be a spending spree. It's just more of an open mind, more of a willingness. And free agency is a two-way street, and the free agents we see on February 26th are certainly not the free agents at all that are going to be there, or at least it's going to be a very sparse crowd potentially on March 16th when tampering begins or March 18th when uh, the new league year starts. So, yes, I I think there's limitations to a degree, but I feel like, you know, it's almost like, and I do do this a lot considering my fandom, but, you know, it's like Notre Dame football in the top 100 kids that they can recruit each year. There is a grade level, a GPA, SAT, whatever, that is a bit of a cutoff, and they can't go after maybe the same kids that Alabama or LSU are able to go after. And I just, Ballard obviously self-imposes this on him, but, like, maybe now – it is a guy like, you know, Clowney almost. You know, Clowney I don't think is this perfect character guy, but that guy would br- come in here and cause a little friction and give you a little dog to that defensive line. And, he, he you know, he, he ain't no choir boy, which is that's what you would need, especially I feel like at positions of that. You need a mix. You certainly need a mix. Many Hawks says, so with the Jets and Colts not agreeing to terms around the conditional draft pick that we got for Nate Hairston, are we no longer getting anything out of that trade? That is the impression I'm under. Again, that was a six-round pick for um, for Nate Hairston, and it sounds like the reasoning the Colts didn't get anything for him um, was because he didn't meet an active game criteria. He played about 30% of their defensive snaps, a little bit over that. Only was active for 11 games. So, I mean, I don't know if that was. you got to be active for 75% of the season. I mean, that seems like something that the Jets could easily control. Like, Harrison's a good player, but, I mean, why the hell would the Jets have him active late in the year when they're already out of the playoff picture? You know? Unqualified Chad asks, how likely is it that, based off what Ballard said yesterday, that the top of the second round or middle of the second is where Ballard feels the true value lies for quarterback? 
getting the feeling he considers 13 a reach for anybody outside the top three? I think it's a very fair question. And I'm not, you know, I am not like 100% sold on the Colts trading up or doing something like that. Again, I think they'll do something notable at quarterback. Um, You know, I'm not going to get it branded on the side of my arm or anything to that degree, but I think Ballard has made it very clear that they will not force this selection. You know, I might not totally agree with them in that it could set a franchise back five years, but um, you know, some might argue if you miss out you know, on a quarterback at in the top half of the first round, does that set you back? It's it's not like the Colts are going to be drafting, you know, hopefully for their sake, you know, in the top half of the first round each year. Michael, what would be the most surprising position to see Ballard draft? Uh, kicker, uh, going back to that nightmare of a dream we heard earlier. That, that ain't no dream. That's just a hellish nightmare. God, it's a nightmare. Rigoberto Blankenship at 10 overall. Start the masses. Did you guys see my picture I posted on Twitter? Those uh, bring back Vinny signs. There's a couple of them outside the Colts complex on uh, 56th Street right outside there. Oh, gosh. Richard, will the Colts look at Chase Claypool as a potential dynamic red zone threat tied in in a big body wideout needed to complement Doyle and Allie Cox in the wideout group? Yeah, you all know my feelings on Chase Chase Claypool. I think he's a stud, and he's a great special teams player, which can't be taken for granted. That's what part of him, but I think what makes him such a great player. But um, man, he is a stud. I, I'm intrigued by that. I was talking to Claypool earlier in the week, and he mentioned that the 239 he weighed in at was a little overblown. He was 229, I think, at the Senior Bowl. He said he's training in, I think, Southern California, cross-country flight, pounding fluids. He blamed it on too much hydration. He feels like he's already down to like 233, 234 after just being in Indy for a day or so. And his ideal plane weight is more about 230. Which still, I mean, 6'4", 230. Just throw in some Chase, Chase Claypool highlights if you haven't already. 50-50 balls, can run people over after the catch. Is he a complete wideout? No. But I think Frank Reich could create a nice little package for him. All right, Angel Garcia. I don't know if that's the former Memphis East Chicago product that dominated in the state finals along with Colon Short and beating Eric Gordon back in 2007, or if it's just Angel Garcia who loves the Colts. But Angel, thank you for the question. He says, thank you for asking for Twitter questions at a later time. Sorry on hell that we usually record in the morning. If any of you ever have a Twitter question throughout the week, just DM me. DM me, and 90% of the time, we will get to them. I think I speak for all of us in the West Coast who have a three-hour difference from Mindy. My question is now the AC is coming back. Do we still make a line of priority in the draft? Okay, on hell up. Again, I get the time difference. Uh, my apologies there. That tweet probably goes out about 6 a.m. local time. Throughout the week, slide in the DMs, brother. O-line is still a priority in the draft, yeah. Again, I, I don't want to see it at 13 overall, but um, I think that would be, uh, again, that second-second-round pick, the third-round pick, something around there. You know, Chris Ballard knows. The Colts got lucky last year. They got lucky all 16 starts, you know, for each of those five offensive linemen. You know, he, he's not going to take that for, for granted. 
All right, Stephen, if we sign Chris Jones and let's say Yannick Ngakwe, the return of Costanzo, and the eight draft picks, do you believe Jacoby or any other free agent QB or a drafted QB can carry that team to a Super Bowl? That's a damn good football team. A little bit of help at wideout, and I think that's a team capable of making a run. Now, you're still going to need quarterback play that just gives you an a, an aspect to the game, whether it's a lead on third down, a lead in the red zone like Ryan Tannehill was this past year, a lead in the fourth quarter like Garoppolo was during the regular season. You know, guys that you might not classify as top 10 quarterbacks, but they have a trait that makes them give you that chance at the most important position in sports. My guy Alex Golden, any chance the Colts would trade up for the Giants' fourth overall pick since it's available? Also, what are your thoughts on Broad Ripple Bagel Deli? I assume that's what he's asking about. I love it. Broad Ripple Bagel Deli is... Uh, that little hundred mo, um, hundred emoji, yeah. That red, red, uh, red font color. Uh, Colts moving up to four. I mean, I feel like if we move up to four, maybe it's Herbert. I think you want to get all the way up to three if you like Tua. Yeah, I'm not putting a huge chance at it, but if Tua checks that medical, folks, he gives you the accuracy. Saban says he's unlike any other player we've had in our program from a leadership standpoint. He can escape a little bit. That was a trait that Chris Ballard threw in this week. It's something I think we hadn't heard yet from Ballard, you know, talking about traits that they look for in a uh, in a quarterback. So, yeah. Mamba mentality forever. What percentage chances that the Colts will take a flyer on a mid-round QB like Jalen Hurts over drafting one early? You know, I, I could see a mid-round QB... Um, a kid from Florida Atlantic, I kind of like, you know, Anthony Gordon. You're gonna need to develop a bit coming from that 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 air raid. He did make a good point that he has so many reps in college that it's not like he's a total one year starter. Based off of that, I'm not huge on Nate Stanley. Not not huge on Nate Stanley. Cody, does next year's quarterback draft class affect Ballard's thinking this offseason? I mean, you know, that is a good question. My counter to that would be what if you go 10 and 6? And now you're drafting at 23 or 24, and you don't have that 34th overall pick from Washington. And now, I don't know. You have some other position of need that is of, of, of huge interest in the offseason. I mean, like, again, I just think that's a slippery slope to put off quarterback without any sort of notable draft pick. Ivan wants to know, my big free agent target and Ballard. Well, I think Ballard's is Chris Jones. <laughs> He's praying. He's praying that Mahomes wants $500 million and and uh, they can't, for some reason, they can't tag him or whoever. Uh, mine, uh, you know, I... Clowney or Cooper? I mean, Jones, certainly, but you know, maybe an Eric Armstead if you feel like there is a, there is a, a scheme fit for sure. 
Stan, awesome news on AC. When you're trying to predict when where the next tackle project will be drafted, do you take 2023rd round, 2021 first round, or the field? I know I only got one pick in that round, but I'll take 2023rd round. Old Daner wants to know about any buzz around Jacob Eason. Could the Colts trade back into the first round for him? I just don't love the vibe I get from Eason. Don't love it. Austin, hey, Kevin, if you're able or if you were to do a rough draft of the Colts' first three picks, who do you have in them spots? Huge fan of the show. Thanks. Thank you, Austin. And thank you to everyone listening out there. All right, first three picks. Let's go Love at 13. Let's go um, Gallimore from Oklahoma at 34 and then 46. Boy, one of those receivers fallen. Ayuk. Yeah, so one of those wideouts is going to fall. I think you got to go there. But again, that goes back to the left tackle um, domino of like, it just helps you out so much that you don't have this just neon light need with Anthony Casanzo deciding to retire. Uh, Conroy asked, do you think Ballard will make a free agency move for Austin Hooper to pair with Doyle? I, I wouldn't mind Austin Hooper or even Hunter Henry. Brett, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. I mean, if some team, again, I fully expect Burrow to play for the Bengals, but if some team wanted him, it would take a ton. The Bengals are going to demand a ton, as they should. Brian asked a good question. In your opinion, how many players are the Colts away from contending? I've heard some people say the Colts are only a few away, and some say they still need a lot of help. Just curious. I think they're a few away, but it's at the most critical positions on your roster. So some might equate that to a lot of help. And again, how far are they away from contending? That to me is a different question from contending, you know, in 2020 versus contending into 2024. That's where the long-term answer is at edge rusher, receiver, left tackle, quarterback, no answer. And the here and now? Can Houston still give you something off the edge? Can Kumoko Terry come back from a you know a pretty significant injury and give you that double-digit sack guy? Does Hilton still have enough in him? Does Paris Campbell make a big jump? Then at left tackle, obviously Costanzo. And then at quarterback, that remains to be seen. Colin, who's an under-the-radar free agent, maybe even week two or week three free agency that you could see playing a notable role with the Colts in 2020. Yeah, there's a couple guys on that D-line. Um... A Derek Wolf, a Malik Beasley, a Shelby Harris. Um, there's a couple tight ends. I'd have to look at the list, but I remember that that I liked a few of them. Again, tight end and D-line to me have that depth. I'm not sure what the market will look like for a guy like N- Nelson Aguilar, but you know the Frank Reich, Mike Grow connection is there. Kevin, love me some over-unders. Uh, four and a half is the over-under Kevin comes with here. Outside free agents getting signed to the Colts come March. Over-under four and a half. Boy. Um, I'll go under. 
Yeah, five is a lot. Now, if they don't re-sign any of their own, maybe they go five. But you know, last year they only signed two in the whole month of March. So, um, I think the year before that they didn't sign too many as well. So, I'm kind of in the three to four range. That, that's where I'm at. All right. Um, Greg more likely to be cut sheared or Funchess. Well, they're both free agents, so it's you know more likely to not be re-signed. I'd say Funchess more likely to be brought back than sheared, but again, those 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 to me are just such coin flip situations. Such coin flips. Benji, what second or third year players do you expect to pop next season? How will that affect draft strategy? I'll tell you what, if Kamoko Ture and Ben Banigou if they can pop, that is huge. No player on the roster, in my opinion, means more to this team moving forward. In that kind of two- to three-year window, you haven't seen them quite take the full jump. No one means um, means more than those guys. Just huge, huge. Um, and I think Terry has a chance if he comes back from the injury. Okariki would be the other one. Yeah, Jim Ursay mentioned, you know, they feel like he can be a Pro Bowl type player. He's big. I mean, obviously Hooker, you know, if he doesn't show you enough, maybe you're, you know, back to his potentially drafting a safety here in a couple of years. Sam, how many tight ends are on the roster? I want to say there's like five Doyle, Moali, Cox, and they signed a several. Um, several. Um, future contract guys. Salvador, how many years do you think the Colts will re-sign Costanzo and how many should they? You know, again, I think like a one-year, one-to-two-year deal, maybe a team option, maybe more of a player option, honestly, on that second deal. And I think he'll be highly paid. I think he'll be paid as one of the top tackles in all of um, all of football, as he should. All right, a couple more here. Forged in Blue, after Stephen Holder dropped the nugget on his podcast last week about Derek Carr and the Colts actively watching that situation, what are your thoughts on Derek Carr being QB1 next year? I think we touched a little bit on it on last week's pod, but again, I think if you go that route, the free agency trade route, Carr to me makes some sense. He's not a Band-Aid. Was he 29? Hasn't played with great wide receiver talent yet. A very deep wide receiver group, not at all. Yet, you know, he's been a guy that's had a high completion percentage, a very high yards per attempt number. Those are key, key ingredients for what Frank Reich wants. Um, I mean, Oakland's a dysfunctional mess. Get him into a more stable situation. Quick rhythm guy. I'm not opposed. Seth, a Colts fan from Kentucky, have you seen Lynn Bowden from Kentucky play? And could he be an offensive gadget wide receiver in Reich Sirianni's offense? Also, congrats to Joey Molinero, who was mentioned here on Kentucky Sports Radio for his impression of Dockage. Folks, Joey Molinero, I love him. <laughs> I am so, and I, this is going to sound cheesy and corny, but like I'm so freaking proud of him. He is an incredibly talented human being, and he works his ass off. And he does so many things outside of just what you see on social media. And he's got a bright, bright future. I um 
you know, I remember having a talk with Joey. I'm sure he'd be fine me, me sharing this. You know, a very serious talk about job and future probably a handful of months ago, six months ago. And when you're, you know, he, he's about a handful of years younger than me. I mean, there are some very uncertain moments in this industry. And, and he's just got a passion and a talent that he's going to be doing some Folks, he ain't gonna be producing this podcast much, much longer. I mean, it's I, I, every time I'm texting him, I'm thinking, God, is he gonna respond to this text? See, he, he still work for us? Because I mean, he is. Uh, he's a stud. I love him. I love him. Him and his wife Riley are great, great people. And uh, boy, we are. Uh, I, I'm. I love it. I love seeing all his uh, all his success. Uh, but Lynn Bowden, uh, yeah, sign me up. Taysom Hill, two point Maybe? I hope. Your emperor. Just go all in on this Tom Brady speculation because it's starting to get me all types of pissed. (laughs) You know, I think the question of Brady, like, to me, Brady, Brady and Rivers is more of an Ursay thing. You know, Ballard, again, it's sustained success. And maybe Ursay looks at it of like, guys, and again, he's going to be involved in this quarterback decision. Does he go to them and say, all right, we can take care of long-term with a draft pick this offseason, but can we also kind of you know, try to improve the short-term a little bit because I'm getting antsy here. I don't like 7-9. Can we get to 9-7, and 10-6, and six, try to make a run with, with a veteran quarterback? Um, all those. Jaden, two great Colt legends, but who do you think have the better career, Freeney or Mathis? I'm going to be in the minority here. I really like Mathis. Longevity, doing it with other teams, certainly freeing. I mean, both are studs. I might give the slight edge to Mathis because of the strip sacks. I mean, that's the most impactful play a defender and a pass rusher can make, and he's got the most in NFL franchise or NFL history. NFL history. You know, I I think when you look at that, that to me is just a slight, slight difference. But jamming is Quincy Wilson still a Colt at the end of the season, or is he traded away during the year? Um, I, I probably, well, I'd probably be surprised if he's a Colt week 17, 2020. Slightly surprised, yeah. Ooh, Casey with a K with a great one. If you were in the room, what would you ask a prospect? That is a really, really good question. Um, I, I'd probably honestly just put up a lot of film and good and bad film and just want to see how they react to that in a very rapid-fire setting. How do you process things quickly? And then I, I'd throw in some some leadership, character, um you know, passion for football type questions thrown in there. I think that's, I, I think all of those would work wonders. Nick, if you had to pick one current Colt to be a roommate with, who would it be? Oh boy, it's a good one. No offensive lineman, they'd be too dirty. Oh, my guy Jack Doyle, for sure. Naeem Hines plays a lot of golf, always smiling. Darius Leonard's always laughing. Throw him in there. Yeah, those are those are some guys that I would uh I would go with. 
All right, everybody. I appreciate the questions. I know that I missed some. Um, if uh, I, I, I'll go back through these, and if I missed any that I feel like are relevant to uh, to next week's podcast, we'll certainly hop into that then. And uh, hopefully, Joey will be feeling better, and um, he'll be back on next week's podcast. So again, one hundred seven five thefan dot com. A ton of written content we had this week from the combine. Check that out over there. My Instagram, Kbone ten seventies, had some. Some visual shots as well. Um, I'll be co-hosting the morning show here on 107.5 The Fan. On Thursday and Friday, that's a 7 to 10 a.m. with Big Joe Stasniak. So feel free to tune in there if you're looking for something in your morning commute to work or even if you want to just ease into the work day. Uh, fine by me. Appreciate everyone listening. Uh, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.